It's you who do not belong here. You, with your absurd notions of a perfect and harmonious society. It's drivel. The world has caught up with me and surpassed me. Ninety years ago, I was a freak. Today, I'm an amateur. You go back, Herbert. The future isn't what you thought. It's what I am. Do you know that you can go into a shop here and purchase a rifle or a revolver? It's perfectly legal. These people encourage... Stop it! Hey, uh, just recently we're here with Citizen Frame. We decided to always kind of like to pay our respects to actors who've recently passed. We've done it with Max von Sydow. Um, we talked Conan the Barbarian. And most recently with James Can or Khan with Misery. And this other actor this other actor who just recently passed, David Warner, I think people always knew David Warner when they saw him on the screen. Oh, I know that guy. He's always the uh, bad guy, British guy. Mm-hmm. You know? And but I, I don't think he was a household name. Yeah. He's more of a character actor. I would agree with that. Supporting actor. Sorry, character actor. He's more, more than that. Um, I, you know, The Omen, we talked about that in the podcast. One of the best death scenes, and it's still one of the best death scenes of all time. Yeah, it still holds up. Uh, from Tron, Time Bandits, one of my personal favorites, Waxworks. I love Waxworks. I haven't seen it in years, but yeah, it's a great film. We might get back into that one. That was a fun yeah. movie to do, or to, to, to mm-hmm. watch. And uh, he's always been around. He's worked. F- Television uh, as well. Um, Star yeah, Trek, tele- Doctor Who. Um, he, do you know he, he played, he actually played the Doctor in audio dramas, like a future version of the Doctor. And, um, well, as, as a fan of, you know, especially the classic series and stuff, I think, you know, he, the, the um, the television doctor that never was, but should have been. Yeah, he was known. I was really up on him a bit. He was very good with. Um, he played did a lot of Shakespeare, yes. Hamlet in plays, and, stuff. and he did Hamlet. And I know Lawrence Olivier is very famous for playing it, but David Warner's performance was supposed to be just fucking back spot in the sixties. Yeah. So sadly, we lost him to cancer, and. I felt what better way to pay tribute is to my first introduction to David Warner. I saw this film in 1979. It was my first film we saw when we moved from Boston to Minnesota. And it was it was time after time. We saw it in the theater, in Southtown Theater. I remember the day I saw it. I can remember everything. I remember I my, the, when I was a kid, I was eight or something like that. I remember the hand on the on the uh, in yes. the apartment, and uh, uh, it's all I remembered. And I always revisit the film, as you know, once every every, every few years. Oh, I was just going to say, I also first watched it as a kid. Uh, I, I was very young. I, I can remember, and um, I can remember being fascinated by it. You know, by the time travel concept, and I love time travel stories anyway. But I also remember at the time um, feeling it to be quite scurry, you know, with the whole Jack the Ripper, you know, plot and stuff going on and quite almost sort of very otherworldly and weird. You know, obviously, you know, looking at it through adult eyes, it's sort of 
it's not as powerful as maybe it was for me as a kid. But yeah, we'll get to it. It's still, you know, I've still a lot to say about it. Uh, yeah, this was directed by Nicholas Meyer. Now, Nicholas Meyer, you know, he's, he still works today, but he doesn't... Now, Nicholas Meyer, I I never understood why he never got that big career. And the reason I say that, because of the Star Trek films. Obviously, this kind of catapulted him a bit because uh-huh. this was a little hit for him. But he did the my my personal two favorites of the Star Trek films. He directed Wrath of Khan, which is a fucking yes. classic. And then he did Undiscovered Country, which is probably mm-hmm. my favorite. It's a great murder yes. mystery with David all these Warner's great actors. David Warner and Christopher Plummer, yeah. and you just just it's just just a fun one of, film. One of the best, Eddie definitely wrote, one of the best Trek films with the original crew. If apart from you know obviously Wrath of Khan. Yeah, and then he wrote uh, uh, Star Trek uh, Voyage mm-hmm. Home. So. He's got some really good street cred. He never really found his footing. Uh, it's unfortunate. I don't know why, because I think you guys got some talent. There's a lot of similarities, actually, um, with Time After Time and Star Trek The Void Show. Yeah, I, I read up on that a little bit. Um, which I'm glad he took him out of this and put him in, in, in Voyage Home. Yeah. Uh, especially like, there's a punk rocker scene. Because I, I think the comic element needed to be put away from yeah, oh this. Yeah, oh yeah. And it would have you know, worked a lot um, better with Star Trek, which at times can be a little tongue-in-cheek anyway, especially with the original series. Yeah, and with this particular film, you have a little of that tongue-in-cheek. You're going to have it. I love the McDonald's yes. scene, the Scottish, the Scottish <laughs> restaurant. But, um, but they don't overdo mm-hmm. it. And that's where I couldn't remember if that was his downfall at all. So we got David Warner as Jack the Ripper, Malcolm McDowell as H.G. Wells, and Mary Steenburgen as Amy. Uh, the great thing about this film, those are the only characters you need to worry about. Yes. Um, it's not bombarded with all these different characters you have to remember. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much simple and to the point. It's focused on, on the three main players. Exactly. Let's let's talk about the... Oh, I remember, the, again, we talked about the hand when I was a kid. I remember the hand. But I also remember the beginning when he kills the first... the, the prostitute... Um, now, Jack the Ripper, this is based on the theory that it was yes. the Doctor who was the uh, Jack the Ripper. And most people will point in that mm-hmm. direction because the way he surgically removed the yes. organs and the money he had to have with enticing them with money and grapes mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So he had to be professional. So there's the theory they're going I love on. the creepy hand watch that he has. The pocket watch. Yes, yes. And... It was kind of a risque scene. PG, PG back then, you can get away with a lot more than you could but now. But it's still, see, see, the great thing about it and this film and the way it's done is the the death scenes are not graphic. It's more, it's all about suggestion, but that suggestion has so much power, brilliantly handled. And while you don't see, you know, it's not like an Eli Roth film where it's all blood and guts or something like that, or even Tarantino. Um, but what it's like your mind fills in the blank and it's very very skillfully done the part of suggestion works so well with these killings in this film yeah because you, you got a close up of her mm-hmm. face as she's moaning yes. as you think they're you know yum yum time in the alleyway mm-hmm. there and then her her eyes turn to terror yes. and you can hear the tearing of her clothing mm-hmm. so that's, that's pretty much suggesting that he's ripping into with her the, 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 the uh, creepy um, you know tune that the Pocket watch plays as well, you know, sort of adds to the effect. And it's a night. Nice, it's a nice bloodless shot until you see a, a 
kind of you see some blood on her, and then you see a blood path. Yeah. Um, but nothing by today. You don't standards. see knives getting you know stabbed into her or anything like that. It's 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 um, like I say, it's it, it's ha- it's handled very well, but still very powerful and quite scary. I have to say, it's at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it still holds up a little bit. It's not as intense as I remember it, but again, seeing it through an older eyes, I can still appreciate yes. it. Less is more for this 100%. kind of film. And now we're, we're he's at, turns out he's on the run, but he goes to his buddy's HG Wells. I do like the coincidence where they have this, you know, cards night and poker night, whatever. They're having dinner with with HG Wells, the Gentleman's Club, whatever. And then he's like, "Oh, by the way, it's like a time machine over here." <laughs> oh, really? Let's check it out. Well, see, this this film to me has always been a sort of unofficial sequel to the Rod Taylor time machine film from nineteen sixty. You know, the original, um, based on the H. D. Wells um, novella, of course. So it's almost like an unofficial sequel to it, in my head, anyway. What? I I I know some people saw that, but I I don't think the time machine looks like the time machine and. I think it's just a coincidence. I think the movie plays yes. on that because it's based, it's H.G. Wells' The Time mm-hmm. Machine, where this one is written. This isn't based on. Oh, anything. it's its own entity, but it's it, yeah, it's its yeah. own entity. So I think they yeah they played on on that novel. Yes, I can yeah. see that. So he quickly explains how it works. Never take out the key. Yes. Never take out this key. But yet you can just pull it out <laughs> in two seconds. <laughs> Never take out the key because it brings infinity, yes. go into infinity or something. And, and, and it's sort um, of obvious that that's going to come into play later on. Yeah, we'll talk about that scene because there's a little confusion in that mm-hmm. part for me. So, cops show up. He escapes the Scotland time machine. Scotland, you governor. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I, knew, I, knew. I can. <laughs> and they get the whistles. Yeah. <laughs> Blowing the whistles. It's very stereotypical. Um, Victoriana, you know, London. So, yeah, he escapes. And the time machine comes back because he forgot to take the key out. There's two keys. There's a key from outside the machine that will send you an infinity and kill you pretty much. Well, torture, probably painful. And then there's a key inside you have to take out in order for the machine not to come back. I have to say, although, you know, uh, yes, I think, I think that's right. Um, um, you know, it is a bit of a plot convenience if it was being overly critical. But, you know, so what? Yeah, I can, I can run with it. Yeah. All right. And I do love to see little Corey Feldman. Yes. Being introduced yeah. to- <laughs> that surprised me. I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I haven't seen this in years. Um, so I haven't um, until I watched it for the podcast. And then the next thing, Corey Feldman pops up in his first ever film appearance. Yeah. I think it's so funny we see Corey Feldman because it's despite what he's doing now or what he's not doing, he had a fucking great agent. Yeah, when he was. I a mean, kid. Corey Feldman between this film, Friday Thirteenth, The Goonies, The Lost oh, yeah. Boys, Stand by Me, that fucking kid has had some fucking incredible such films. A, I mean, I've always liked them. Corey Feldman, the two Corey's, Corey came as well, and such a tragedy what happened. Well, basically, what the two of them have been through, but especially obviously him yeah. being dead and. You know, it just sort of um, chewed up and spat out, you know? Curse of the Child Star sort of thing. I think it's double-edged. I think it goes mm-hmm. both ways, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I mm-hmm. hear you. Now, we just talked about how 
the fish out of water and how they could have really hammed it up. They really don't. They, they do a couple different scenes where you're seeing a TV for the first time and, and stuff like that. Oh, there's a pool overboard? Like we just mentioned. He, yeah, he, 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 Nicholas Meyer pretty much just copied and removed all that and put it in a Star mm-hmm. Trek, which is fine. That's perfect. Um, there is a funny scene in which I had a good chuckle. He goes to the McDonald's, yes. <laughs> which he thinks is a Scottish restaurant because it's McDonald's, whatever he <laughs> pronounces it. And he hears the guy order uh, with a big tone of a Big Mac and a fries mm-hmm. and a Coke. So he goes up to, and he orders the, he goes the exact same yes. tone. He goes, I'll order a Big Mac, a fries. And then he goes, oh, wait. Because yes. <laughs> he's, he's awfully polite and awfully British and, you know. Yeah, he's very yes. posh. Yeah, he's a gentleman, you know. <laughs> I do like where he finds out, and I like the fact the film just starts right away. It's to the point. Yeah, he he's just people don't realize he's H.G. Wells. He's a, he's a uh-huh. genius, so he can figure things out a lot easier than the, the average person can. So I do like the fact he finds out about currency. Uh, yeah, that totally. And I was thinking he, the exact same thing because this is a highly intelligent guy. Um, he, he's only traveled about, I say only, 80 years in the future, or, or maybe about 80 or 90 years in the future. So he it makes sense that he would catch on pretty quick. Because, yeah, so I, I'm totally with you on that, and that's what I was thinking. And uh, it's not like when Marty McFly first goes back to 1955, you know, back to the future, where he's completely, what's what's going on here? And it's, it's a you know, it works for that film because he's a 17-year-old kid. But with this, it also works in that it's more restrained with H.G. Wells. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and and that's where he does that, that quick montage when he's going to each mm-hmm. bank to see if a tall Englishman is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yes. So, and the funny thing is, he goes to Bank of England. Uh, and that's where he he meets his the love of his life. Yeah, uh, which he actually married in real life. Um, in this... In the, well, they, they yeah, yes, I think they married, and, and I think they have some children. Yeah, and then they got divorced, and now she's with Ted Danson for right. years. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so you have, he's, he's, he's running around searching, and he finally, yeah, he meets Amy, and we've, and, oh, Jack the Ripper was what, John Leslie Stevenson mm-hmm. is yes. his name. The doctor, Doctor Jack the Ripper. And there's a nice little line where, Amy, when he when he finds out Amy's the one who helped him to exchange currency, uh, the Ripper, he he quickly asks, uh, "Well, I can't remember how the conversation went, but Amy ends up telling him, well, I told him to go to the Hyatt.' Yes, uh, down the road. So now he knows yeah, where the he hotel. is. The hotel, mm-hmm. and then you 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 meet they meet they meet each other pretty mm-hmm. quick, which I again liked." And they have this little confrontation in the room where he turns on the TV to show H.G. Wells the violence in the world that they live in. And he says, I belong yes. here. That was a bit, that was and almost, just, see the thing, I really liked that because it gave um, his character, um, you know, he had motivations, you know, and you could sort of see where he was coming from because we do live in a very violent world. However, him, whenever he then said, um, Oh yeah, I belong here because I'm Mister. You know, um, that was a little bit pantomime villain, but um, it was David Warner, so he, he, they get away with it because it, it's performed so well. 
but I, I, I really liked how they give um, the Ripper character, you know, that sort of... Well, I suppose they were saying, basically, this guy's a psychopath, you know, the violence and stuff. But it, it gives him motivations, you know? Yeah, well, he has a line. He has a line where he tells H.G. Wells when he's showing him this, you know, war and famine and yeah. all this stuff. He goes, 90 years ago, I was a freak. Yes. And today... I'm an amateur. Uh, also, as well, um, I think it was great the way H.T. Wells, um, bef- uh, before, whenever they were still in Victorian London, H.T. Wells was talking about how the future, it's going to be this great um, utopia and stuff. Um, but then when he gets there, it's far from it. It's In fact, it's arguably worse, as Jack the Ripper says. Yeah. Then they have this big chase yes. scene, because the maid walks in. And that was a nice little chase scene. What works for the chase scene it's yes. simple. It's not over the top. It's two older guys. Yep. You know, they're not used to chasing each other and running left it's and right. It's not the A-team. Uh, it's the mm-hmm. score. Um, this is uh, the score. And this these little uh, uh, little credit here. And that's by Miklos mm-hmm. Raza. Raza. And he did a really nice job with the energy of the score because the, the characters didn't have, you know, they're not going to have the energy Schwarzenegger's yes. going to have. So... They're it's more not going to be total recall. So the score, yeah. So the score amps it up a little bit. You know, they play that cat and mouse yeah. kind of theme, and it works well. It play it, it complements the chase yes. sequence. Um, I do like when he gets hit by the car, yeah. the Ripper, and he thinks he's mm-hmm. dead for a very minimal time. I mean, that, that pretty much figures he pretty, he pretty much figures out pretty quickly that he didn't yes. die. Um, then you have. A little long in the tooth, but I'm going to give it a pass. Amy and McDowell. First of all, let's get this up. They have good rapport uh-huh. in this. I can see why they, they got engaged or whatever happened in their relationship. Uh, but I do like their rapport and their conversations. She's She comes off kind of like a dimwit. It's, I was just going smarter. to say that about it. It's down to the actress. Um, she, it, it's her voice. It's her delivery. is quite slow. And um, that... To some people, could come across as a bit dim-witted, but obviously she's far from it. You know, I'm talking about uh, Mary um, Steenburgen in real life. It's just her sort of slower delivery. I remember, and again, I don't even mean to do this, uh, but I'm going to um, make an X-Files delivery. Chris Carter, uh, right, X-Files delivery, X-Files um, reference. Chris Carter, whenever he was cast in the role of um, Fox Mulder, um, whenever David Duchovny came in, um, Chris Carter said his delivery was a bit slow. Well, that's just the way he talks. And Chris Carter at first um, thought that um, this guy's a bit slow-witted. He's a bit he's a dimwit, basically. And um, but then he was completely wrong. He, he admitted, you know, Carter, and that he's actually a very well-read and very sort of you know highly educated man. And um, obviously he was then cast in the role. So I think it's a similar case here uh, because. Her, her de- delivery and her sort of slow delivery does take a bit of getting used to. Well, I think that's just her pronouncing everything. She wants, she's got etiquette. Yes. And she's yes. got, uh, you know, she wants to make sure everything she's saying is being mm-hmm. heard. Um, uh, uh, what do you call it? English professors are a lot like that, aren't they? Yeah. More reserved and more, yeah, you know. Uh, she's really sort of. It could be, it could be annoying. Don't get yes, me wrong. Yes, it is annoying uh, at times, you know what I mean? But you sort of get used to it, or at least I did. So during this little montage, you have some nice little uh, observations that H.T. Wells is doing, like how to drive is a, is a popular yes. one that he does. Um, again, silly if it's Michael Myers. 
As we do never know. We never know well, how we Wheeler's going to drive. <laughs> but H.G. Wells is obviously, like we mentioned, is a sophisticated, smart guy. So he's, he's watching her driving. You know, he's and he picking her, picking her up. He's concentrating. Yep. Do you see? A, do you see how they came out of the the Exorcist? Yes, door? yes. That was a that was a sort of um, <laughs> sort of humorous touch, sort of thing. Yeah. Which is funny because back back then you didn't have a lot of sequels. Yes. I knew The Exorcist Two was coming out, but you mm-hmm. that was it. Or Jaws Two, yes. maybe. You didn't no. have these. Pl- and who knew? I, Exorcist has about four or five. I mean, sequels. we've always had sequels and serials and stuff, but not certainly nowhere near the level that we have it today. You know? Yeah. Well, even back in the seventy nine, people. I'm surprised people yes. got that. Yeah. You know. Um, but it, it was fun. Joke. It was pretty much just twenty minute expose of these two getting to know mm-hmm. each other. And how they're they're on the same and page. And it's his first time at a cinema, so he's like hiding under the seat because he thinks it's real, which is actually pretty cool. Because apparently the first ever, like back in the, was it the Luminae Brothers? Um, the the first ever film um to be shown, um was a train pulling into the station back in like the late eighteen hundreds. Can't remember the exact year off the top of my head, but um basically it had them. It had the people who went to see it run screaming and running in the aisles because they thought it was a real train coming towards them. Apparently, well, it depends on what drug you're on. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, back then it would have been a you know opium. <laughs> so that, you know after this montage sequence, then you got they heard on the radio Jack's still alive. There's another yes. killing, and so H.G. Wells realized that Jack is not dead. He's still alive. Mm-hmm. And this is where this nice little scene where he goes back to Amy the Ripper to exchange more currency. I like that. That's and a really powerful scene. It's a good scene because the Rippers. It shows the Ripper isn't stupid yes. either, because once she gets up, she's changed her persona. She's not as friendly as she probably was at first. She leaves and goes to make the call. He calls her out yes. right away. He's very Warner. There's a great scene where he, she gives it away. Her tell. Remember what it is. Um. She she gives it away. Oh yes, she puts her food on it. It's about the um. She she names the you know he the twigs it, yeah he twigs on that it was her that um recommended the hotel to him and then it was obviously that's who she then told H D Wells that's the name of the hotel where he was that's when he twigs on yeah yeah because she mentions did you get the room okay yes, that's right or how was the Hyatt Regency right. yeah and then that's where he puts the pieces together yeah, very quickly yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice little cat. It's kind of a little cat and mouse scene without yes. the chase. Yeah, yeah, battle of wits, um, but he, you know, sort of, um, yeah, he's one step ahead of her, and very menacing. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Warner certainly sells it. Um, and he tells her to pass on a message, tell him to leave, or he'll face the consequences. And uh, this is when he goes to the police. I thought the police scene when. He says he's Sherlock Holmes, was kind of stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that was obviously a bit of... Um, that was an in-joke um, from the writer and director because he's a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I just don't think it plays. Yeah, I thought it was a um, uh, so Yeah, was, I, I just... They could have... Because this character, uh, to the duration of this film, has been pretty mm-hmm. smart, learning to drive and yada, 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 putting the piece together, how to track down Ripper... And then he comes to this stupid scene of the show. Yeah, should have said he was just John Smith or something. Yeah, make something mm-hmm. up. It would have played yes. better. Um, the the uh, police um, detective who's interviewing him again another X Files reference. 
he played the FBI director. I think the actor was called, was called Charles Cioffi or something, or Cioffi. Charles Coffey, yeah. I think his name he is. Played, um, yeah. He played Mulder's Superior in the early sort of episodes of the X-Files. I liked him in yeah, this. I, I have him down. I have him down as pretty good mm-hmm. cop. There's a nice scene where he's trying to tell him um, when he pretty much, he knows there's a murder happening, so he calls yes. the police saying there's going to be another murder. Jack's picking up this, this girl at the dance mm-hmm. club. And they want to know how he knew that was going to happen because he didn't get there in time. They find the dead, the dead yes. body, so they ha- they they arrest him, and he has to at one point admit to doing it so he can mm-hmm. get out of there or please go to my girlfriend's place because she's going to go after her next. Yes, because it went forward um, in time at this point. Yeah, because he had to tell her what happened. Yeah, and she didn't believe him at first. So what happens is, oh, help, yeah, so help me out with this. He. Is trying to convince her that he's 130 years old, blah, blah, blah. I mean, she wells. So he takes her to the museum, and he goes, let's go ahead five yes. days. And so it's real fast. Pew, there we are. Yeah. We're ahead five days. And then she sees the paper, and it's her dead on the, on the, on, on the yes. newspaper five days later. So they go back to the date they yes. were at. Just, and then they've got a couple days yeah. now. Before she's meant to, to die. stop her from being being killed, but she doesn't die. She forgets she was going to die, but her her buddy showed up for dinner, and she's the one torn apart with the hand yes. in the room, and so but so they have really no identifying pieces of her, so they assume yes. it's Amy. So after that scene, Charles Coffey, the, the lieutenant, actually it's a nice scene where he's got to admit he was wrong and he has to apologize. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's dead. It's a good scene, actually. Yes. Um, I liked it as well. Yeah, I just like it wasn't over the top. Him yelling, and you know how you get these scenes, these, these cop yeah, like nineteen seventy cop, sort bad of, cop, yeah, like the Sweeney type, you know, badass cops, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I just like the solidity of it, and Lieutenant mm-hmm. Mitchell, I think I believe was the character's name. He he plays it off well. I would like to have seen more of him in it. I think. I think um, it would have been funner if, as the last chase sequence, when Wells confronts Warner at the time machine, when he's got Amy, I think it's kind of... It's, eh. it's a bit... It would be nice to it's see a the bit cops, like, like Charles Coffey, like Charles Coffey getting yes. in there. Well, not even... And he's yeah, running. For- and almost to the point where he gets there in time to see him and Amy leave together. And he actually believes his yeah. story. Yeah, the, the, that would have worked. Like you know, with the, the cop, um, you know, showing up at the end. Um, I think generally the finale, uh, it is, it does work very well um, all round for me, and, um, and certainly on an emotional level with you know with H.G. Wells and you know Amy and stuff. However, I did find um, David Warner's Jack the Ripper getting sent into infinity, which was obviously foreshadowed at the very beginning. Um, I did find that a little anticlimactic, but I, I, I have a memory of it being much more terrifying when I first watched this as a kid. And much. M- That's my question to you, yeah. though. So he gets in there, he gets in the time yes. machine, and he's going to go, wee, wee, yes. take off. And then uh, H.U. Wells takes the yes. key, and Jack looks down. He knows what he's yeah. going to do. And he nods, like, yeah, kill yeah, me. There, there, yeah. There's a bit of that as well. Why does he do that? It's almost like 
Yeah, it was just too much of a change of a sudden change of character. Yes, it was like all of a sudden within a split second, uh, he had developed a conscience, and he said, "Yes, yeah. we never saw anything in the there film. There was no groundwork for that. It. He was getting a getting a conscience. Yeah. The, 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 yeah, there was no groundwork laid for this. It just it was just very sudden and come, come completely out of the blue." And so, yeah, uh, even but even the manner of his death it was a bit anticlimactic as well for me. Um, but yeah, uh, aside from that aspect of the finale, generally it, it's very good. But, um, well, but yes, I was okay. let down a bit by that. Well, when you, so she, she didn't want to go back with him in 1893, whatever yes. it was, because you know she's a woman. This is a woman's lib. This is blah blah. Back then, you don't have. I don't. I wouldn't have those yes. options. But she decides she's going to go back at the last minute with him anyway. Well, she ends up dying in 1927. Yeah. So she dies at a young no, age. No, 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 no. So she, she, well, she would have lived another, like, I don't know, maybe 30-odd years. But 35 years? But this is based on real life, about... because, uh, in a way, because... What, what, what was Amy's um, full name? or What was her surname? I can't remember, but is that what they're playing? Is that H.G. Wells' real wife's real, name? Real, real wife was called Amy such and such... And although the film portrays him as like sort of like big up for you know women's lib and all this here, in reality he believed that um, you know he had apparently from what I've read anyway he had many many mistresses, um, and he said it was to- totally fine for the husband in a relationship to have you know as many mistresses as he could, but for appearances women um, weren't allowed to basically so it does play a bit it does paint them out to be um, um, a lot more sort of you know sort of more yes than he he would have been in reality Um, that's certainly not me having a pop at H.G. Wells it's just going by what I've read but um, you know the real H.G. Wells but uh, at the end of the day this is fiction there's fucking time travel and all that so they'll get away with it I I just wish they would have cut a little more of their romance mm. we got you know that whole montage and it worked well don't get me wrong can i just say as well at the end of the day i we should have saw we should have saw more yes. ripper yes and we should have saw something where he was like i'm a small yes. fish in a big pond i don't belong here where that's why he kind of sacrifices himself yes. at the end Could- something that would lead up to allowing HTL to pull that key i agree definitely but um what i um haven't um um, talked about yet is the performances by Malcolm McDowell and David Warner. I have to say as well, especially Malcolm McDowell are both fantastic. Um, um, and especially Malcolm McDowell in those you know final scenes and stuff. You know, you say McDowell, McDowell, <laughs> what, right? Whatever you say, tomato. I say McDowell. tomato. You know, <laughs> potato, potato. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think. Uh, and Mary Steenburgen is very good as well. Once you adjust to her her line delivery and her voice, uh, you know you're t- there's three professional actors and they're very solid throughout it. Uh, but especially, I have to say, Malcolm um, Warner's great, very menacing, but he always is. You know what I mean? He was always he was so reliable. You know. Yeah, David Warner was a good actor, and I think underappreciated. Yes. Um, to be but I, but I sort but of like fanboy, he... fanboys yeah. of like fantasy and horror. Oh, yeah, will will we'll know who David Warner was yes, and is. Um, well, well, so, it was like I was, I, mean, t- I was telling my mum about you know watching time after time. I'm going to do this podcast, and my mum's a horror fan, but she wouldn't certainly be as big into it as me or you. 
you know, she grew up with like the Hammer Horror films. But I see it there. I see it, that was sad about David Warner Dan, and she was like, "Oh, who's that? Uh, I haven't, haven't heard of him." And I said, "The the photographer from the Omen." Oh, she, and she was like, "Oh, the photographer from the Omen." You know that sort of thing. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's one of those things that uh, fanboys would yes. know him. Obviously, like who listens to this podcast would yeah. probably know him. But but if you mention what character he was in the film, they go, oh, yes, I know him. He was in Tron, yeah, too, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Then it kind of snowballs. Yes. But what movies yeah. but I sort in. of prefer, I mean, I sort of think it's better because he, that means that he, that he wasn't just a, a, a movie star. Remember, um, he was actually a serious actor. You know what I mean? So I think it's better that he has a, more of a cult following than... Yeah, well, he was always a supporting actor. Well, not always, but yeah. But, I mean, I never yeah. saw a film because it was David Warner was headlining yeah. it. Not always, um, but yeah. It, it, you know, it's funny. We were this close to having David Warner as Freddy Krueger. Yes, he was cast. He was mm-hmm. cast. He had the makeup yep. on. They were ready to yes. go. Uh, there was a delay in filming, but he had another project he had to go to and we had to walk away. As much away. as I love Robert England, or England, whatever way his surname is pronounced, um, I, th- I think David Warner would have been better. And more sinister and scurry. I think David Warner would have been more yes. sinister because he's, A, the English yes. accent, but also he's tall. And I bet he wouldn't have done all I always thought Freddie's yeah. biggest Freddy's biggest downfall was he yeah. was short. And I bet he um, wouldn't have done the sequels, Warner. Maybe he would have. Who knows? Uh, I, I, I could, certainly could not have seen. You know the way Freddie became like a sort of dark comedy character in the, the sequels? Um, you know, why he's cracking all this here? Um, that that wouldn't have. I don't think I couldn't picture David Warner. No, yeah, he he wouldn't he wouldn't have been a he wouldn't have been a yeah, that one. This is welcome to prime time, bitch. You know, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't picture Warner. You know, doing that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, but we got what we got. Nothing gets Robert oh, oh, like Freddy, who I love in, a, in his own right. You know, uh, but I think you and I both agree. Time after time is a solid yes. little film. I, you know, I visit it regularly, like I mentioned. And guys, check it out. It's a good afternoon watch. Uh, it's certainly not offensive by any means. See what you but, just uh, said there. Um, it's a good afternoon watch. That is exactly what I was thinking. It's a sort of film that you can sort of sit there and rewatch on a bank holiday Sunday, or, or you know, like a Sunday, a wet Sunday afternoon. It's just that one of those nice films that you just enjoy, and it's yeah. A hundred percent. Yep, exactly. Uh, but uh, rest in peace, David yes. Warner. Thank you for some of the great characters you brought in us. And uh, um, yeah, he was a true know. legend, certainly within the genre. Exactly. Uh, we'll wrap, wrap wrap this one's up. Um, it was fun to revisit mm-hmm. this one. Uh, downloads have, have always been steady. And up and and up and up and up and up and up and rising, so we want to thank thank you, for you that. guys. And hit us on Instagram at Sinister Frame underscore Podcast or on Facebook. And uh, yeah, give us a shout if you want us to do something else. We've got um, uh, one more film we're gonna do, and I'm going <laughs> to for that one. And then we are gonna. Like we promised, the Friday Thirteenth Marathon. We're going to be nailing those fast and hard, so we'll be getting those out. Really Just like quick. Jason um, um, nails his victims fast and hard. <laughs> that was the worst, worst joke ever. Uh, all right, guys, have a good one. Take care of yourself, and we'll chat soon. Mm-hmm.